Good, well we're going to be uh, looking into uh, uh, part of the New Testament of the Bible. We're uh, in 1 Peter. If you want to turn it up, you will find it on uh, page number 1219 of the Church uh, Bibles. If you need to get one, there should be one uh, nearby. Do have a good look at the um, church and uh, the notice sheet you were given. If you're new and you want to be in touch with us, then fill in the little slip at the back and tear it off and, and uh, make it, uh, give it to the folks on the uh, right-hand side of the church at the back. There's some people that are there to welcome you, answer any questions you have about the church. Um, yeah, so that would be, be good. Uh, just to draw attention, if you're being involved in short-term missions or you'd like to be, um, or you're kind of thinking that way, then there's something happening next uh, Sunday afternoon. Have a look at that. Eddie Arthur is uh, speaking next Sunday. He's the uh, British director of Wycliffe Bible Translators. So uh, we're going to have a bit of a time with him for people in that category. But you can see that on the notice sheet. So we're in that uh, 1 Peter then, chapter 3. This is a letter, as uh, I guess uh, those of you who've been here uh, a few weeks now will know, was written to Christian believers in the very uh, first century, in the early days of the Christian uh, history, I suppose. They're living out their faith in a world where actually most people in that world weren't going that way at all. It wasn't a very easy place to be a Christian believer, um, although these are early days as we shall see, and it was going to get a great deal worse for them. But Peter's been telling them and us to live their lives in a way that that is uh, characterized by good. They're supposed to be living lives that are good lives. He says in chapter 2, live such good lives, verse 12, among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. This idea that their lives are to be good, to be kind of lovely and good and they reflect the character of Jesus. And that's, uh, uh, we saw last week how Peter talks about how they're to live, how we're to live in a way that serves others, that we have this servant-like characteristic. We live the Jesus way. We saw it uh, last week as he talks about how we live alongside people that, that, that are around us, people that are in our close networks, people that we react to whether it's out in general society, whether it's at work, or whether it's at home. And Peter looked at, as we saw last week, at those three areas. And today we're going to see how Peter is continuing to develop this idea that followers of Jesus are meant to be living lives, and that's us if we're followers, that are characterized by good. And this is how their faith is seen in action. And this time it's not just in their reacting to others, like people in society generally, or people in their home life, or or people in their work life. But today, it's how they're they're kind of proactive, how they, they live good lives. We're to live good lives anyway. We're to be intentional about living uh, good lives. And as you may have noticed, if you've read it, and we'll see this coming more as we go through, this letter has across it what I've called the shadow of suffering. It's early days in the Christian church, and Peter's writing to believers, as we read in the first chapter, who are scattered across the empire, far away from Rome. But we do know Peter is writing this letter in Rome, and a great persecution was going to come upon the church in the Roman world, and Peter may well have been aware that that was beginning. And so, 
the Holy Spirit, I think, if you think about it this way, it's a, a remarkable letter because we, we're actually in on it as we see the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter preparing the church in the Roman world for persecution, preparing Christian communities for what is to come. Now, you know, we don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to apply this, do I? We've heard, we've heard it all. This is the world we live in, where our brothers and sisters face suffering, where the temperature may indeed be rising for us. We saw some of this last time, and we'll see more of it today. Well, let's read verse 8 to 13 uh, to start off with. I'll read it if you'd like to follow it. Finally, says Peter, uh, all of you, uh, finally, obviously this isn't the end of the letter, it's in this little kind of argument he's making here. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? First thing then, doing good and knowing God's blessing. Peter's continuing his description of how this community of believers or communities of believers like them is meant to work. And we see it throughout the letter. We get little glimpses. It's a bit like bits of a mosaic, which every now and then he puts a few more pieces in. And by the time you come to the end of the letter, you'll have a kind of much more complete picture of how communities of believers are meant to, to, to work, how their faith is meant to be seen. Verse 13 sums it up. He says, you should be eager to do good. But what does doing good look like in their community? Verse 8 shows us, doesn't it? It says you need to live with one another. They're to be brothers. They're meant to function together. There's meant to be a shared life that they know in their community of believers. It actually says live in harmony. See there in that first verse. Uh, originally in the, the language it says live, uh, share the same mind of one mind. It says be sympathetic. That, that literally he says you're suffering together when you suffer. Be humble, compassionate. He's talking about a, li- a community where lives are being shared with one another. When, then, when they're active in that process of loving one another and sharing with one another. It's much more than sharing space together in the same room on a Sunday morning, isn't it? It's uh, much more to their community than that, that's for sure. It's actually living the Jesus way, as we shall see. The question is, do we do that? Are we like that? Is that how we function as a community? Where we're weak at it, how can we be better? What can you do? What can I do to make that more how, how we reflect the Lord Jesus? But it's not just to be as they live with each other. There's an outward direction to that as well. Look at verse 9. Don't repay evil with evil, they say, he says. You're not to deal back in insults. If people insult you, then I assume he's not referring to people in the community insulting you, the Christian community, although maybe, yes, that does sometimes happen. 
But outside of it and beyond it, you're meant to be like Jesus, he's saying, to bless others, even those who don't like you. Why is that? Well, he gives us two reasons. First of all, he says, we live like this because, he says, you were called to this. To this you were called. Those of you who were here last week may remember that phrase. Remember that phrase in chapter 2? Peter there said, to this you were called, to be like Jesus, he suffered, you should, he left you an example that you should follow in his steps, same phrase again. When he talks about them being of one mind, that might ring some bells with some of us who know that some other rest of the New Testament, Philippians, Paul talks about believers having the same mind that they have in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, uh, we'll come to that in a moment, but verse 16 talks about, see that there, your good behaviour in Christ. You see, what matters most about this community is that they look like Jesus Christ, that they behave like him, that when people see the way they function, they might think, oh, that looks like something, that, that, that looks like Jesus Christ. Jesus has seen everywhere in their behaviour towards one another and towards those around them. Again, is that how we are as a community? Is that what we want to do? Do we realise that that's what we've been called to? The fact that we know God at all, uh, all that he's done for us and in us and promises to do through us, is about this. Being like Jesus as a community. Living the Jesus way. But there's another thing, Peter says, there's another reason. He says, you may inherit a blessing. Now, blessing, uh, in the Bible, you see it, it, the word pops up first in Genesis. It has, uh, with the word, the idea of, of knowing God's presence in your life, being in relationship with him, God kind of smiling upon you. So we see it with the, the calling of Abraham. Remember in Abraham, in, in the Old Testament, he was a man that God said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bring you into relationship with me, and through you, the whole world will be blessed. Peter quotes Psalm 34 here. That's what these uh, poetry verses are on the page in front of you. And that psalm is all about the Lord being present in our good behaviour. If you read it through, that's what the extract is all about. How God loves it when we obey him. How that, how that God sets his face against evil in our lives. Now, if you look in Psalm 34, and I, I don't have time to do it, and I don't intend to, that's not saying that, you know, I, I didn't intend to look at Psalm 34 anyway. But if sometime you do, some of you may remember it from house groups. Do you remember the story of David on the run? Do you remember when he pretended to be mad, when he got away from that uh, Philistine king? He wrote Psalm 34 at that time. And if you read the psalm, it's all about how he finds his refuge and his security in God. He finds God with him in rough times. And in that psalm, before David talks about uh, this bit here, he says, listen to me, my children. He said, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you about what it means to fear the Lord, to respect him, to love him, to know his security and his presence in your life. And the psalm just before this bit talks about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And he's saying, I want to teach you what it means to respect and love the God, God because he's good. And as you respect him, as you fear him, you know his goodness, you know his presence in your life. And all of this David writes when he's under real big, tough pressure and he finds refuge in God. So what's Peter saying? What he's saying to this community, be like Jesus in your community as believers. 
be like Jesus beyond it. And in that, you'll know God's presence, God's blessing with you. Not that, you know, you do these things, do you live the Jesus way just to be blessed? No, but because you're in a relationship with God, because he's your God, because you love him. So that faith is worked out in doing good stuff in our lives, with our community and beyond it, being blessed and blessing other people. So that's the first question. Are we like that as a community? How could we be more like that? You can think about that in your house group or over lunch or whenever. Let's read on. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now we come on to what Peter is going to be telling us about suffering and knowing God's blessing. Verse 14, see that? If you should suffer for what is right you are blessed. That idea of God's presence in your life does not evaporate. God doesn't go anywhere when you start suffering for what is right. And Peter talks repeatedly in this letter about suffering. Actually, 16 times he mentions it. Always it's a specific kind of suffering. Suffering as here for doing right, for doing good. Suffering, we shall see, he even uses the phrase, as a Christian. Actually, the only, uh, only twice the word Christian occurs in the New Testament. And one of them is here in 1 Peter, when Peter talks about suffering as a Christian. And he talks a lot about Jesus' suffering. And this is a price, as we have seen, that followers of Jesus may have to pay if it's demanded of us. And Peter's saying, there's blessing. God is there too. I was going to say that uh, all that Paul just said, so I won't. Just remember what Paul said. We're fortunate not to suffer for our faith, but who knows what might happen. What Paul didn't say, uh, I think the Daily Telegraph, I think it was in May 2009, did a survey and, uh, uh, about, to all kinds of people, but to Christians, asking them to respond how many of them felt um, discriminated against or under pressure from their employer in the workplace. And actually, I think it was uh, about 40%, or it was a, a staggeringly high number of respondents said that they did feel like that. So, how might we prepare for that? Peter's preparing these believers for suffering. Our brothers and sisters all over the world are suffering. Well, how does Peter help them? How is he going to prepare them? Well, he goes right to the heart of it, I think. Although as someone who hasn't suffered that much for my faith, I don't know. Do you? Something we could learn from brothers and sisters across the world, perhaps. But he says, fear. Goes to the heart of it. Do not fear what they fear. Is that the heart of it? Is that the biggest pressure, perhaps, as you think about suffering? Fear? 
Well, what does he say? He quotes, that verse is a quote from Isaiah chapter 8. And I'd like us to turn, please, to Isaiah chapter 8. If you could leave one finger in 1 Peter and go to Isaiah chapter 8. That's on page 693 of the church Bibles. Um, If you've got your own Bible, if you kind of find about the middle of it, and you'll probably be around Isaiah, Jeremiah, that's uh, pretty big books. If you find Jeremiah, go back, Isaiah's before it. Uh, Page 693, chapter 8, verse 12. Second half of verse 12. Do not fear what they fear. There we are, that's what Peter just said, isn't it? And do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary for both, for, but, uh, but for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that makes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Isaiah has this message for the people of Jerusalem and God has told him that they're not going to like his message. That he could well be, indeed he was, persecuted for that message. So persecution is not new. And it's not some ghastly, terrible mistake. It's something that has been part of the experience of the people of God from Isaiah's time and before. God has got it covered, I guess, is one uh, lesson we can learn. And God tells Isaiah, Isaiah to replace that fear of others, that fear of being hurt, that fear of persecution, or that fear of what might happen, to fear of God. And, and this isn't a terror, this isn't a desire to run away from God, because right away he says, the God you're to fear is a sanctuary for you. He's your safe place. So he's not saying you fear their, him like you fear those people persecuting. No, no, no. He's saying God is bigger than that. He is awesome. And he says, in here, he says, the Lord Almighty, he's the one who is holy. You respect him for his awesomeness, his holiness, his power. This God will be your sanctuary. You can run to him. You can be at home in him. And Isaiah is told, God, you fear me more, love me more, respect me more, see my awesome power, more than what you fear from what's coming around you. And, and even while Isaiah's been beaten up, God is telling him, there's something that matters much more than your fear or your pain. And it's interesting, there's a reference right there to God being like the stone. And do you remember 1 Peter, chapter 2? Peter's already talked about Jesus as the living stone. If you were here a few weeks ago, that's what uh, uh, Lou uh, was uh, showing us about. Jesus is the one you suffer for. And, And going back to 1 Peter, you see, Peter takes Isaiah's message... And and applies it to Jesus. You see, Peter here says, In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Reverence Christ as Lord. It means uh, make Christ holy as Lord in your life. And that's exactly what Isaiah says. God says to Isaiah to, to do. God says, set me apart, the holy Lord, almighty God, as the holy one, the one that you, you revere in your heart. Peter says, that's Jesus. He says that applies to Jesus and and for the believer. Jesus is the one. He's the living God. And from that place, 
where we're honouring Jesus most in our hearts, where we know that safety with him, where we know the certainty of a future with him, whatever happens to us, that's where we are when we suffer. And Peter says that will prompt questions. That will prompt questions. And so he says, give them answers to those questions. I forgot to do those things, sorry. Answer the questions. He says, give people reasons. Explain why you're like that. Now, you know, suffering believers do tend to create questions. It's been going on for a long time. Even in the Bible you see it. Herod was persecuting John the Baptist. He couldn't help wanting to find out what made the bloke tick. Paul, when he was in prison, King Agrippa longed to talk with him. Christians who are being persecuted prompt questions because people see Jesus in them and they ask questions. What are we going to do with those questions? Peter says, answer the questions. Explain why you're like this. He's saying, keep on being like Jesus. Don't give up. Do it in a gentle way. Because to suffer like this may be God's will for you as it was for Jesus. Would I be ready to suffer for Jesus? Would you? Is Jesus Lord in our hearts? Do we revere him? Do we respect him? Do we love him more than anything else? Do we find that sanctuary in the awesome, holy, powerful God? Do we need to learn to be secure enough in Jesus to know him when we're suffering for him and to know blessing in that? Just as Jesus said, blessed are you, he said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, when, all, when men persecute you, do all kinds of evil to you because of me. Suffering and blessing. Finally, the third thing Peter says, let's have a look at verses 18 to 22. For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Third thing, he thought about blessing as we do good. Blessing as we suffer. Now Peter talks about how Jesus suffered and how what Jesus suffered has become the source of God's blessing in our lives. Suffering of believers always prompts Peter to think about Jesus. We saw it last week. You'll see it in every chapter of 1 Peter. Whenever he thinks about suffering that's coming and he talks about the suffering believers that uh, he's writing to, the suffering these believers will experience, he thinks about Jesus. He brings Jesus' experience into it. Because there, as we saw last time, there is a closeness to Jesus when we suffer for him in his steps following in his example. But here in, in verse 18, P- 
Peter talks about how Christ suffered, died for sins to bring sins, to bring us to God, to bring you to God. Because of Jesus' death, because of his suffering, we can be brought to God. And it's a lovely idea that he doesn't show you the way to God, he brings you to God. I think it's a lovely idea, isn't it? That he kind of takes it in relationship with him, because we're connected to him, because we love him, because he's our Lord, uh, he takes us there. He brings us to God. And he's the only one who can do that. There you are. If you don't like my preaching, you know how to get rid of me now, don't you? <laughs> the only one who can bring you to God is Jesus because he's the only one who's died like that. He's the only one who's been raised from the dead. And Peter talks about that resurrection. He talks about the victory of the cross. Now, this is a very strange uh, passage, and I'm not going to go into it. I haven't got time, and I didn't intend to anyway. If you want to talk about it, then we'll meet up for a coffee somewhere, and we can talk about what it might mean when he talks about going and preaching to the spirits in prison. But the big picture is that of Jesus' resurrection victory. That's what's in mind here, this idea of Jesus proclaiming his victory even you know, outside of time. And he connects it with Noah. And that makes, Jesus, uh, makes Peter think about Noah. And he thinks about Noah who was rescued from water. And that makes him think about the rescue that Jesus has given us from God's judgment. And how does that, resurrection, that, how does that rescue happen? He says it, he saves us by his resurrection. Because Jesus is alive, we have victory. Because Jesus is alive, we can be brought to God. Because Jesus has not just suffered to, to deal with our sins, he's been raised again. And that victory is there. And now where is Jesus now? His submission is over. He's over everything else, it says, in the end of that passage. He's at God's right hand. And Peter says, we've been rescued, and baptism is the symbol and the sign of that rescue. The baptism doesn't save us getting covered in water or even a little bit of water doesn't do anything to you other than make you wet and maybe a bit cleaner. But this, what it symbolizes, the resurrection of Jesus, being connected with Jesus, that's what saves us. Jesus saves us. And Peter says our conscience is clean because Jesus has dealt with sin. He's brought us to God and he's raised us to spiritual life with him. So Peter tells these believers they can live good lives. They can know God's blessing. They can suffer for Christ. And they can know God's blessing. See, God's blessing is not just associated with an easy life or when, when everything goes fine. God's blessing can be known in very, very tough times when we suffer. But they've been brought to God. They're clean before him because Jesus has suffered and Jesus is triumphant. And these believers are with Jesus, even though they suffer. And so are we. And so are our brothers and sisters across the world who suffer greatly. Peter is telling them that suffering with Jesus is purposeful, and it is temporary. That final picture of Jesus' victory. He's been through his suffering. He's at right, the right hand of God, it says, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And Peter is saying, that glory will come for us with Jesus one day. Suffering is temporary. One day we will suffer. Uh, if we suffer with him, 
as the Bible says, we will know glory with him too. We see it all. If you want an example of it in the life of Stephen, if you want to read something, you want to see a believer doing all of that right in front of your eyes, when you get home, read Acts chapter 7 and follow it through and see how Stephen, one of the first ones to suffer in this way, uh, right at the end, sees Jesus standing to receive him into his presence. So we do good. We live the good life. We live the Jesus life. We know God's blessing, even as we suffer for him, if that's the road we take. And we can pray that blessing on our brothers and sisters, whether here among us or across the world today. So let's not fear, but let's know Jesus as Lord in our hearts, making the difference as we live for him.